I'm Alex Witt. Mohammed, were you introduced prior? I know that Sabina yeah. and Ziva were. Okay, good. So, um, and I'm delighted to be here. And I have to say, this is the second time I've seen this film in the last week, and it was just as good. Oh my heavens, what a fabulous film! So, I want to begin by asking you two fabulous filmmakers, what drew you to telling this story, and how much are you glad that it was told right now at this time? Sabine, I'll let you go over there first. Well, actually, both of us had traveled extensively in the Middle East uh, at different times of our lives. And we also came across the biography by Janet Wallach that Patricia mentioned early on, uh, Desert Queen, and had read that individually. And we were working on ahead of time about Ruth Gruber. And uh, I had, I asked, uh, I thought Ruth must know Gertrude Bell because Ruth spent some time in the Middle East and so I asked her and she had never heard of it, hmm. uh, never heard of Gertrude Bell. So then Ziva was there and said, well, I just read the biography and we both felt uh, she would make an incredible follow-up to Ruth Gruber because she inspired uh, us, uh, you know, for different reasons. Uh, me partially because uh, she really showed the way she described her tr her interactions with um, the people in the Middle East and her uh, the way she related to them felt very felt so um, natural and respectful, and and I think. That is one of the things that we feel makes this story so relevant today is the respect for other cultures, mm -hmm. uh, which seems to uh, erode every day. So um, that was one reason why we felt her story was very contemporary. My interest really in doing the film was really as a result of, of course, reading the biography as Sabina mentioned, but I had also read several other books on the Middle East and I was really very fascinated with the British role in the Middle East, which was a role that I had always felt or thought was not necessarily a complementary role. And something happened very surprising when I read the biography. I sort of fell in love with Gertrude Bell, mm. which I really was not expecting to do. But her um, her writing really um, articulated such an empathetic and vibrant and vital person that I felt her words really jumped off the page and I felt that she was so lively in her writings that she was um, someone who would make a great subject. For yeah, her. in the bit of research I did about her outside of seeing the film, I loved, you touched on her mountaineering. I mean, you guys, this is unbelievable, this woman. Do you know the summer of 1902, she was in a mountaineering expedition in Switzerland. She was caught for 53 hours in the blizzard, hung onto the northeastern face of the, let's see, the Fusterhorn, and hung on, you know, in a blizzard for 53 hours on a rope. And I was like, who is this lady? I mean, she was so ahead of her time. To what do you attribute that? Was it her keen intellect, the education, which you went and you highlighted in the film about how she got a first in history, which I think was the only thing at the time that Oxford would even allow women to study, right? I don't think they could even study anything other than history. Well, they certainly didn't get a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she did take the test and got a first. Yes. Yeah, to the amazement of the men. <laughs> um, 
I, I mean, I think it's partially she was always a very curious character. I mean, she was curious about a lot of things. Also, the fact that her mother died early on, uh, uh, she became sort of the head of the family when her father was away. And, and I think that kind of responsibility and sort of um, role that he naturally gave her, I think gave her a lot of, you know, Chutzpah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we we discovered that um, she she went through life in with a wonderful confidence in most circumstances, and she felt absolutely entitled to be um, at the table, mm -hmm. no matter where that table was, whether it was in the sheikh's tent or in London or in her travels. And it was that confidence from her relationship, as Sabina said, with her father, that really close relationship that we felt um, really opened a lot of doors. She was one of these people, sort of similar to Ruth Gruber, that when an adventure or an opportunity presented itself, she was able full force to open the door and walk right in. Which earned her the reputation of being somewhat arrogant, as we heard. I was curious, though, I couldn't quite make out in the film her relationship with Dick. Was that, was that a consummated relationship, or was it only one of letters and romance? Well, what do you think? A, a really interesting question. We're fairly certain that it was not consummated. And we also have come to believe that she, <laughs> once it was not consummated, we read their letters back, you know, to each other very mm -hmm. extensively, and he, you could feel him sort of pulling back, and you could feel him sort of trying to tell Gertrude Bell it was a, a moment, mm -hmm. you know, that passed, but that was not the case for Gertrude yeah. Bell. She, he, she felt he was her soulmate, and continued to feel that for the rest he, of his life. I think he was a playboy, right? Didn't he he intimated yeah, that in the letters, absolutely. like all the women he loved and I was like, oops. Yeah. But like with everything, she really put heart and soul mm -hmm. into it. And I think that also made her disappointed in in many you know, during her life on several occasions because she gave so much of herself and did not necessarily get the same in return. So we're going to go to the professor now, and uh, professor of journalism at NYU, but also your vast experience um, in the Middle East and writing about it all. What did what I believe were the like-minded Sir Percy Cox and Gertrude Bell, I think they were very simpatico in their approach to all this, what did they get right and what did they get wrong? That's a big question. Well, we got some time. <laughs> they got right the desire for Iraqi independence and the larger desire of Arab nationalism of that era. Um, they got, I mean, she, she in, in, in the quote, in the letters that you quoted in, in the documentary, um, you get that, you get the feeling very explicitly that she's on the side of the Iraqis in this. Um, and, and, and that it, it, it bothered her as it bothered T. Lawrence to a different extent. Um, that the Arabs had sided with the British um, and had not 
we've many any rewards really um, in in signing against the Ottomans and then in helping uh, defeat the Ottomans. Mm -hmm. um, so they got that right. Um, I think what they got wrong, and and I, I don't want to blame them for this entirely because there are many forces at play here. One of the major things they got wrong. Um, was in helping perpetuate the sectarian identity in mm. Iraq. Mm -hmm. and, and we saw a glimpse of it, which you also quoted well in the documentary, which was the idea that the Sunnis had to be in power. Mm -hmm. The Sunnis had to be in power forever, basically. The vast uh, minority. Yes. Yeah, no, that's no, going to be tough. Majority. And one, one, of the, um, one of the things that um, happened in the revolution of 1920, which um, alluded to in the documentary, uh, was that it was actually a moment in Iraq when uh, Sunnis and Shia worked together. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a moment, I mean, one of my vivid memories in Baghdad in 2000, and early 2004, um, uh, during the siege of Fallujah, actually, uh, the first siege of Fallujah by US troops, um, where Iraqis almost every day in, in their um, conversations would bring up 1920 to you. They would bring up hmm. 1920 as an example of Iraqi nationalism and how Sunnis and Shia united at the beginning of 1920 of the revolution to drive the British out. Um, I mean, ultimately, the rest of the story didn't work out very well. They were uh, suppressed, as we saw in the documentary. The, the Brits brought in an overwhelming force from India. Uh, the casualties were huge, even larger numbers. Um, and that became also part of the Iraqi national consciousness for the Shia identity became this idea that um, you could side, you, you sort of, you can um, lose to the idea of, of divide and conquer. You can lose by being chosen um, as, or, or you could lose any influence you would have because the power, the foreign power is going to try to uh, split Iraqis in that mm. way. Um, and. And the sense, and, and this is not entirely fair, but a, a Shia sense emerged all through under the nationalist governments and then under Saddam and others um, that the foreign powers are always going to pick the Sunnis as the power. Hmm. Um, and that's wait, wait, part of the language. Were the Shias, were, they were more the working class? Or um, not necessarily? Not necessarily, because there are also large tribal leaders who were, it was a majority, it became a majority uh, Shia country in the 19th century. A lot of tribes converted then. Um, hmm. But there was definitely, there was a Baghdad elite that was Sunni, and that helped. So did, did Gertrude and Sir Percy and the rest, did they underestimate the power of the Shia clergy, the power of religion in that culture as being such a driving force? And, and it was pointed out to me earlier when, in the uh, uh, little prelude out here that, that she was an atheist, right? You were telling me that. Yeah. So did she not as much as she understood the culture, was that something that she didn't quite get to the depths of, or do you think she did understand it? But maybe not how fractured that would prove to be in the future. I, I think one of the issues that um, prevented her in a certain way to get close, closer to the Shia, maybe engage more with the Shia majority, was the fact that um, in, you know she refused to veil up, and that was a, a, a big issue for any encounter. Uh, uh, secondly, there was a fatwa, the Shias put a fatwa out, the leaders a fatwa out for people to engage with the British. And so I think 
uh, exactly, uh, and I think that was problematic uh, in terms of really getting to know the situation better. And the other issue was that the Shia were um, citizens of Persia. They were Persian citizens mm. at that very early time, according to Gertrude Bell. Mm. Um, and so there were, and the other thing which was pointed out to us was that, and you can tell us if this is in your, true in your, in your research, that the Ottomans had already created a Sunni elite. So the British were basically, they weren't reinventing the wheel. We they were sort of moving forward on the continuum of the Sunnis being Well, didn't Winston Churchill and that say when, when they were bringing in King Faisal that he was someone who was, he was independent and he was going to be um, the cheapest? Right? Yes. I, 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 that sort of struck me as interesting. Yes. What was that about? Why was he the cheapest decision? Be because this was after the war and there was a lot of money that needed to be poured in in creating, um, you know, creating a government and, and creating all the institutions, everything, and they felt that he was the most straightforward. It was not going to take away from the expenditures, you know, he was not going to add to the already very high expenditures. Mm. They wanted to basically just sort of let it happen as quickly as possible and move on. Mm. And that he wouldn't interfere too much with the oil concession. That was it. So we move forward and um, I think the, the best and brightest of us look to history and take our lessons from history, the mistakes and, and things not to be repeated. But let's move forward to the invasion, the, particularly the second Gulf War. Um, and you look at the what's happened since then with ISIS and, and the rise of that. How much could that have been predicted because of the actions of Gertrude and company? And I'm not, I'm not damning her in any way. I'm not pointing fingers, but just in general. How much could have been predicted of what has happened? Well, the thing, one thing to keep in mind is that the country that Gertrude Bell was involved in creating was basically over in 1958 after the revolution, the July 14, 1958 revolution. So, to last what, 34, 35 years it lasted? The, the, the initially? The kingdom? Yeah. The kingdom? Yes, okay. Exactly. Okay. So, um, you know, we have um, academic advisors on the film as a result of getting involved, getting the grants from the National Endowment for the Humanities, and so we had asked them on many occasions this question has come up, and basically the answer is something like 100 years is a very long time. Mm. And while it certainly planted the seeds of the sectarian division and strife, because when the British went in, all of a sudden, these people who had been living side by side were jockeying for position hmm. because of for the favors that the British were doling out, and a lot of other competitions happened. It, you can't exactly draw a direct line. I mean, what would you what would you say about I, that? I, I would agree with that for the most part. Um, I would point out. This is not not at all to be Orientalist about it, but um, that there is there's a much deeper sense of history in the region, um, both in, in the way that people remember characters, but also in the way that people remember foreign intervention, uh, the impact of it, and um, 
and the way that people remember the I, I, I would think people remember that that hundred year history is let's say medium medium to short term history mm-hmm. um, and long term history mm-hmm. really long term history going back like seventh century, century. <laughs> yeah um, but again that's not, I, mean, I don't think that's necessarily the ultimate driver for actions but um, it is there is a just as in 2003 and 2004, Iraqis um, looked back to that history of 1920 um, to mobilize themselves and to think about their own identity at that point, um, they sometimes go back at, at other moments um, and, and put that into context. One thing I love is um, in, in reading about the reaction to Miss Bell, I mean the name was revered in many ways and the image that it conjured up, one description was long after Miss Bell evoked relative peace and genteel prosperity. And I've got to think that had something to do with her clothes. You know what I mean? I mean, how did she manage that? If you think, I mean, I can't even, I couldn't wear this without a top in the heat of the, you know, New York summer. So how in the world did she do that and, and cart all that around and keep it clean? And do you have any insight into that? I know you might not. That's okay. <laughs> but, but. Well, she always, she, she had a large closet, as we know. Uh, and she brought that large closet around. I mean, I think uh, it was, you know, she, I mean, one of the interesting things about her is this idea of not wanting to A, the other culture, but actually come and, you know, present yourself as who you are, not trying to be, um, you know, not trying to become like the other culture. And I think that is something very important about her. I mean, she felt really that would create a level field. You would, you know, there would be mutual respect immediately. Mm. And in that way, she was very different from, let's say, someone like T. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, the details, I don't remember the details <laughs> of how yeah. she traveled with all her clothes and, you know. More than magnificently. We came across, we came across it was a source of endless entertainment when we came across letters of hers that were really precise and when she said to her mother uh, her stepmother I want the mules no not the ones you ride but the ones you know on your feet (laughs) I mean she was incredibly like the the fabric the color the parasols very, very precise, and we, you know, it was something that we thought about how we could get a scene, and we did have actually a little scene about her wardrobe, mm. but it didn't make it into um, we are very close to running out of time, but I did want to see if anyone has a burning question for either Ziva or Sabina or Muhammad, and you, you're the lucky one. So there it is. <laughs> I, I'm, I was very impressed by the amount and the quality of the footage that you put together. So my question is, um, how did you find that footage? And mm. where did you go? How did you put it together? It's amazing. Yeah. Really amazing. Really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, one of the reasons the footage looks the way it looks so clear, I mean, it's funny, it, it, um, people point to it and often we're even asked, how did you shoot this scene? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> how is that possible? Well, it really came from archives all around the world. We had archives in, in the UK, in France, in Germany, and 
and we really went on a you know the film it took us five five years to make the film and and we amassed uh about 1500 clips and 500 clips are yeah and um and so the reason it looks so good is was early on we decided that it the film would be driven by this footage and mm -hmm. her words and we wanted to bring to actually have people be able to get step back in time to that to these places and these, you know locations that Gertrude Bell visited, so we went back to the archives and asked them to rescan the negatives when there were negatives available, oh. and so and that was a very costly process. But we decided to go uh, do a Kickstarter campaign to raise money, particularly just for that, so that hmm. it would be available not just for us in the film, but also for other filmmakers in the future that they could access this material. And that's one of the reasons it looks so crisp and pristine, but... Um, and that was one of the deciding, you know, we had so much to um, choose from. We really sort of focused on the archives that had the original footage, mm -hmm. because there are many, many archives throughout the world that have digital clips. But if they couldn't go back to the film, we sort of put that footage at the bottom of our priority list. And then just quickly ask, the, the testimonials from everybody else, was that all from letters, or did yeah. you at all script that dialogue? No, all from letters. All verbatim from mm -hmm. primary okay. source material. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, well, I think we're going to call that a wonderful night. Thank you all so much. Look out the film. Uh, we actually sold the film to PBS, and it will be on national PBS Great. later in the fall, in September. All right. Congrats.